tonight, I, I, I was really praying through, through what the Lord was wanting to, to teach all of us, myself included, and uh, you brought me right back to Philippians, where I taught out of last week, so we're going to pick up right where we left off, um, talking about the, the unity uh, of the church and, and our community and the importance of it and, and kind of the, some of the pitfalls and, and the tactics of the enemy. Um, so we're going to take a look at those today, and I thought it was uh, very appropriate for kind of what our community was going through this week, and, and, and talking about community, and talking about um, really just, just the way in which the world kind of sees us, and the way in which we operate, and the testimony that we have to the rest of the world by the way in which we operate, way in which we operate. So we'll get more into that, but today we're going to be in Philippians 1 still, but picking up in, in verse 27. We'll be going through the next chapter, through two, all the way to verse four. So I'm going to read that. We're going to pray over it, and then we'll get into it, all right? You guys with me? Yeah. All right, great. Picking up verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that what, uh, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That is our text today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For the gift of your word. Um, thank you so much that it is living and breathing. It is not just a historical text that we get the dust, uh, blow off the dust off of, but, but, is, but is truly you communing with us and, and speaking to us, Lord. We recognize it as complete, but, but also living and breathing and, and certainly applicable to today, Lord. And so we're so thankful for the gift of your spirit and the gift of discernment. So Father, I pray that you would move my flesh out of the way and, and you would speak openly through me, Father, that you would have have your way, that your will will be done. We are so looking forward to for what you are doing um, in the midst of all of our lives. We recognize that no one is here by accident tonight, and so there is a word that in which you want to get across. So, Father, I, I ask, and, and I know that you will speak openly and freely. Um, thank you again just for this building and this, this group of believers and this community. Father, what a precious gift it is to be a part of this place um, so we thank you and we praise you, we glorify you, and hope that everything that we do tonight is edifying to your name. And all these things we pray, amen, amen. Cool, cool. So, as I talked about last week, I am st- still dealing with these doors. <laughs> the baptismal is still not completed, but we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, it's getting painted on Friday, so it's going to be really stinky in here. <laughs> um, but we're looking forward to it and uh, really being able to use it. 
we're going to get some jets in there. It's going to be a full-on jacuzzi. I mean, it's going to be, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, but people are really going to be baptized here, and we're really looking forward to that opportunity and, and just giving the, the provision of that. Um, so we're thankful for that opportunity and seeing what the Lord is doing. So, so last week we talked about um, the responses of, of a mature Christian and, and kind of like how our reaction is a direct testimony to, of whom we belong to. And, 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 and today we're, we're going to see how like we are called to step out and, and especially being part of this church and especially where, where our pastor, um, hearing from the Lord is, is, directing us and, and really inspiring us to, to get out of our comfort zone and really engage culture, but, 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 but be here to be equipped so that we can go out, in turn go out and actually be a part of culture, be a part, be, be that leaven in, in our community, in our church, and, 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 and not in our church, but, but our church out in the communities to raise the kingdom, to, 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 to spread the good news of the gospel, Right? To make disciples of all nations. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. And, 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 and as we, we step out in faith, as we step out in faith, we recognize, and, and we talked a little bit about it last week, when we step out in faith, oftentimes we're going to get hit upside the head. <laughs> and, and there's going to be a reaction to it, right? But, but a reaction that, that, that we should really learn to expect, really uh, learn to prepare for, but also trust in the Lord. As, as we step out in faith. So, so, so again, we're going back um, just chapter one. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. And, um, and it directly translates today. Um, he's, he's really calling attention and addressing a situation that we can find later in the, in the fourth chapter of Philippians um, that's causing a direct division in the church. It's causing strife. There's people taking sides. There's discord. And, and people are upset. So, so literally, he's kind of setting the foundations up to address a specific instance later in the book. And... Um, but really, he, he, he wants to kind of nip it at the butt, taking away the possibility of a schism, taking away the possibility of a division of the church, a division in the church body. Um, I really think that a schism or a separation of a church body is really one of the worst sins as a, as a community that we can partake in. Right, right, that is just so of the enemy and, and, and it's really something that, that we kind of treat lightly sometimes because we're, it's, it's so apparent in our society where we have, and I'm not, I'm not getting into relativism and, you know, you know what I mean, but, but really just the breaking apart of a, a certain community and a, the certain different, um, denominations and, and just this, just, just this ripping apart is just not, of, of, of scripture and, and not of, of one heart and one mind and one community and one bride. Um, and we see in scripture that, that, that the word of God, um, says that, that, that these schisms, these separation are really a terrible thing among our community. And it can be really, really detrimental because it hurts everyone involved. It hurts everyone involved. And, and, and really not only does it hurt the people that are involved, but it also hurts, um, really our, 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 um, what is it? it hurts uh, the cause of Christians in the world's eyes, right? The way in which people see us. And, and, and we see that when, when, when people are, are, have broken off and started to do their own thing and they break away from the body and they, they break away from Scripture, we can see firsthand this week the damage that can be done. When there is a separation from the body, when, when people want to get away from scripture. And, and what happened on Monday? 
What happened on Monday? Do you guys know? You guys aware? So Westboro Baptist Church showed up at T.O. High School. I have a slide of, of um, kind of something that they put out last week, and it's a, a direct. You guys see that? Can you guys read that? So, so, so it's, a, it's a direct response to the shootings and fire that happened back in November. And basically saying that the sins of our community caused this outpouring of vengeance by God. It's pretty crazy, right? It's, 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 I mean, God sent the shooter. Isn't that terrible? And, and they call themselves Christians. No. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Gospel preaching is not hate. Right? And these verses out of context. Because they feel self-justified in what they're doing. They're not justified by scripture, but they're self-justified. And we see a certain sect of Christianity breaking off and really doing damage in the world's eyes. This is, this is a hard one for our community, and, and my wife and I were getting texts and calls, and, and, and Kelly um, posted this on her Instagram and got a bunch of responses from that, and we got invited to come out and combat, and, and really it kind of became this big thing, um, and kind of this clashing of, of, of kind of good and evil, right? But, but, but to the outside world, I mean, this is just a sect of Christianity, Right? And there's people there with guitars and signs that Jesus loves you and, and this is not the work of Jesus, right? And so this, it was this com- combination of, of these clattering forces. But from people from the outside perspective, people on the outside of the church community, what does it look like? It just looks like infighting, right? A struggle over context, a struggle over interpretation of scripture. You see the damage that can be done when there is disunity in the church body? This clashing that happens, this is not of God. We can all agree in in that, right? This is not of the Lord. This is built on pride. Thinking that they have a better interpretation than really the rest of the the Christian community, right? And, And this, in fact, is being used of the enemy to cause division not only in the church, but really the church from the rest of the world, and it hurts our testimony. It hurts and damages our testimony. The Lord's faithful through this process, right? There's a lot of people loving on those kids and loving on our community that were part of, of, of a righteous community, part of a righteous churches. There's, church, there's, there's members from all different congregations that showed up. And I, I'm really, really happy and impressed by, by their willingness to just show up. And sometimes that's just half the battle, right? Just showing love. Right? But it looks terrible. And sometimes we see things that are aired on, on newspapers and, 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 and the news stations and there's divisions between Christians and, and it just the, the inability of, of extending grace. The inability to, to provide mercy that has been so freely given to us. And when there's not an extension of mercy like Christ gave us, there's harm that is done. It's never justified in the church, this idea of a schism, this idea of a separation. Except kind of on the grounds of doctrinal error, right? Like when it's so grievous 
And there's this, this grievous inconsistency between faith and, and actual practice, putting it into action, right? When there's call for rebuke and that's righteous and there's a process and we see that scripturally and when there's still not repentance, then, then there is a point in which they are cast out. But there's a scriptural process to that, right? You can take down that slide. Um, you guys can find that online anywhere if you guys weren't able to read it, um, except for some of the big stuff. But... The reality is, as we are in community with each other, problems are going to arise, right? And I'm not just talking about different churches that are out there and and different um, denominations that are out there, right? I'm talking about just in here, just within our community, just within our family, right? There are going to be problems that arise that, that really require God's wisdom and tact, really led by the Spirit to be able to kind of handle these matters, Right? That's why there's an authority in place. That's why scripturally we have, we have deacons and we have elders and we have pastors, right? There's, there's a process involved. But, but it is profitable for us as a community to give it the correct attention that is needed. It, it's not that we can just sweep it under the, the rug when people have disagreements or things blow up in our community. We can't just sidestep. Right? We can't live in fear, especially as those that are called to this community. The ones that are truly called here, the ones that call this, this place their home and these people your family, we can't just sidestep issues. Right? But that's not always easy to do. That's easier said than done. Have you ever said to yourself, and, and I'm talking to me too, well, well, I love him or I love that person, but I don't, I don't have to like them. <laughs> right? I forgive them for what they did, but I'm not going to forget what they did, right? I'm, I'm, I'm justified in being defensive. And, of course, there's an element of, of truth to that, right, depending on the severity of the crime or severity of the sin. But, but, but this idea of not being able to give full forgiveness, right, these are indications of a, a wrong heart, a wrong mindset. A wrong mindset. And as we talked about kind of the correct and mature responses that Christians are to have in this world, we have to recognize that we ourselves can be the worst threat not only to ourselves personally, but to our community at hand. We ourselves can be the worst threat. We can be used of the enemy. Right? As Rob, as Rob tells the staff, every sheep is a potential wolf and every wolf is a potential sheep. It's heavy stuff, right? But there's truth to it. There's truth to it. So Paul picks up, I only let you conduct, um, I only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is another theme that we see in Philippians, this, this word conduct this word conduct is, is, is the Greek word uh, politouma, a word that, that literally means to live as a citizen. It's, it's a political term, to live as a citizen. But Paul speaking to the church in, in, in Philippi, right, is not directly talking about being a citizen of Rome, but rather a citizen of heaven, Right? So, so their conduct is specifically talking about their, their citizenship. Everyone who read this letter or heard it um, in the church being read aloud 
would be aware that the citizens of the city were members of a Roman colony. And actually, citizens of Rome, even though that uh, they battle, had, had been won by the Roman emperor, and so therefore they were citizens of Rome. They were, they were calling us, even though they, they weren't close to Rome, right? Thousands of miles away, right? And Paul builds on this idea and says to them, you are members of another government. You are members of another government. You cannot, therefore, have a similar attitude as the rest of the citizens of Philippi. You belong to the citizen. You, you have a citizenship in heaven, and you have to act accordingly. You have to act accordingly. And then, there's a side note, right? This has been kind of misinterpreted, and, and, and I've heard it myself, and this was my interpretation for a long time. I don't, I don't need to deal with politics, I don't need to, to deal with that cultural mountain of influence because I'm a citizen of heaven, right? I don't care about my citizenship of America. I don't care about the, the place in which God has called me to, right? That doesn't, wait, that doesn't sound right, right? We know especially those of us that, that attend here regularly that call this place our home that this is, this is wrong, though we are here to have the perspective of a kingdom as, as we operate here on earth, we are to infuse our society with kingdom principles, knowing that we are citizens of heaven, right? We are to operate in such a way that the kingdom principles that we learn from scripture and, and discerned by the spirit are be able to, to be infused in, into our society, right? That's the point. That's where we're going towards. And this idea of ecclesia that Rob's men been attesting to and, and really driving us towards is that wherever we're gathered, we are representative of, of the kingdom. We are representative of this community. We are representative of the bride of Christ and we have the full backing of the government of heaven behind us wherever we go. Right? And then Paul says, that I may hear of your affairs. Paul established this church. And he wanted them to know that they were accountable before him and before God. And so he's going to check up on them. He's going to check up on them. There are two things that we're really going to look at tonight that, that, that we stand fast in one spirit. And when he's talking about this one spirit, I, I think that he means the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying never depart completely from the dependency of the Spirit of God to do everything that needs to be done or everything that you're called to do. You can't do things on your own. You can try, but most often you're going to fail. So don't depart from this relationship with the Spirit, being totally dependent upon the Spirit. So you never let anything shake you or remove, remove you or cause you to turn back. This is this first essential. And the second essential is with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So you never let anything but like serious heresy keep you from working side by side in your community in the gospel for the furtherance of the kingdom. Paul wanted their unity to be a product, a productive purpose. So that an increasing trust and belief in the good news of Jesus Christ would be promoted among those who had already believed and among those who had yet to believe. See, there's a reason that he's drawing our attention here, right? First and foremost, do not forsake your relationship with the Lord or your dependency on the Lord. And do not forsake your responsibility to work side by side with your community. 
And I believe the reason that he draws our attention here is because this is the direct place in which the enemy tries to attack us. This is where we're going to spiritually get hit the hardest. But there's a process involved, and I think the enemy is going to hit us with one, and if that doesn't work, he hits us with the next. Tests us on one point, and if he can't derail us there, he goes on to the next point. Tries to get us to, to depend on ourselves and not necessarily on Christ. To make you, therefore, as a response to not being working with the Holy Spirit, not being dependent on the Holy Spirit, it makes us upset, discouraged, worried, impatient. Relying on ourselves instead of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul talks to the Ephesians about this. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Right? We're wrestling here. It's more than just flesh and blood. There's more at hand. There's more at hand that we're wrestling against, and Paul wants us to stand firm. Paul wants us to stand firm in the spirit of the Lord and don't budge. And when we find ourselves being discouraged, that's an indication that we're starting to depend on ourselves. Thinking that we have all that it takes to get the job done on our own. And when we get to that point, we don't think that we need any help from God. And then we shift from a position of dependency on God's spirit. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. A shift of dependency. Shift of dependency. But if we're able to stand strong, if we're able to trust in the Lord, then what's next? Enemy changes gears and tries another strategy. He tries to make a division between us and those who labor with us. He wants to sow the seed of discord. He wants to sow the seed of discord. He tries to divide, to split, create suspicion, resentments, a conflict in personalities, things flare up. You're just annoyed by someone in your community, right? Do you understand the enemy wants us to be annoyed with each other? To where we can't operate even in the same room, in the same building, in the same church? By something totally ridiculous. (laughs) For a stupid disagreement or something trivial. But he wants that to grow. And when we don't address those things with our family members, those things do grow. And they grow into something much larger. Something that causes more and more resentment. Something that causes more and more division. To the point where we can't keep quiet about it. Right? I'm talking to myself too because I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. We're in my frustrations. And I start talking about it. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe how they acted? Ridiculous. They've done this, 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 this. Looking back, it's so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Right? But if it's to the point 
where you are so upset and you can't stand something about a specific group in your church or the, something the pastor says or, or it gets to the point where you just can't take it anymore and you have an unwillingness to approach authority, you have an unwillingness to actually approach the person or, or the people that are in charge that the Lord put in place, then your heart is in the wrong place because you know that you're wrong. But do us all a favor. If you're unwilling to seek authority, to seek resolve, quietly bow out. Because if you don't, you're sowing seeds of discord. This is how churches split. This is how communities and families crumble. In the side of these walls where this is supposed to be a safe place, this is supposed to be a community. But there's a process to it. It's just like sin. Starts out small. Gains traction. Gains momentum. Until it's something that's out of control. You can't talk poorly or slander the bride of Christ. That's God's bride. That's God's love. God is fully capable of taking care of his bride. Right? So this is some of the wisest words that Rob has told me. I, I come from a background of being hurt by churches. I come from a background of directly being hurt by a pastor. And I was embittered by church, and I thought organized religion was a sham. This was early in my faith in, in college. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up in, in Christian school. My mom was a principal. My mom was a teacher. I saw behind the curtains, right? Then my mom took over a ministry, and I saw what people really are made of. My, my father left my mother, and, and in three major churches that I grew up in all had major scandals with their head pastors. It's terrible, right? I didn't think I needed it. And then, then I, got into, I got into a relationship, um, not a relationship, but like a, 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 a mentorship with a pastor when I was in college and I was on fire and I got saved and I, I got burned bad and I was embittered and I was resentful of what was going on. And if, for those of you guys that remember my, my sermon last week, I had the opportunity to go up to, to Boise um, Last weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before that where, where the awesome Super Bowl <laughs> happened. Um, and I got to visit one of my best friends in the world who's going through a really, really tough season of life. And unfortunately, that same church that I was hurt by has now hurt him. And all I wanted to do as I was getting riled up was just bash that church going up there. And as I talked about it with Rob, he's like, that can't be your mindset. That can't be your mindset. This is the bride of Christ. Despite of their shortcomings, despite of their failings, you are not directly involved in that community. And you don't want to hurt your relationship, not only for yourself, but for your friend. If you start bad-mouthing the church and trash-talking the church that he was involved in, he's never going to want to go back to church. Right? 
I can't say that for sure, but, but you understand logically. Start encouraging him to bash the church too. And then it's just this circle, it's this cyclone, and it's out of control. Thankfully, I had my, my, my focus readjusted before taking that trip. And so rather it was an encouragement in his relationship with the Lord and to be part of a community again, to get back into community because we can't forsake the meeting of the saints. Right? Instead, love and encourage. We can't slander the bride of Christ, even in our own community. Verse 28, and, and, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. You see, this is how the enemy is going to keep us from depending on God, and it's through the process and the tact of fear. Fear. And Paul says, don't be terrified by your enemies. Don't be fearful of your enemies. And there's only one way to face a situation or, a, or an enemy, and that's really to face it. Right? Step up to the plate. And when it's a specific person or group, and you have the right approach and you're able to face it, you have this mentality and this reality that, what's the worst that they can do? We talked about last week. What are they going to threaten me with? Eternity? Right? So I die. Guess what? I'm in my reward. (laughs) Right? Will it be to cast me out of the group? So be it. Whatever it is, face it, knowing that the Lord has your back. We have to make this clear choice between Christ and fear. When we take him at his word, true Christian will never really choose Christ despite having doubt. But the encouragement is to not have that doubt and not have that fear. This is interesting that this word terrified is a vivid term unique to Greek Bible denoting an uncontrollable stampede of startled horses. That was a little nugget for me because I have a horse and my wife has a horse. <laughs> but this word of terrified, this trampling noise of, of, of this thunderous group of horses barreling down towards you, right? Which is the, to them a proof of perdition. When Christians are not in any way terrified by their adversaries, it is proof of their destruction, this idea of perdition, this definition of destruction. When Christians stand strong against intimidation, against the world, against the enemy, it shows that those spiritual enemies, that their ultimate destruction is certain. They've already been defeated. We have nothing to fear. But to you of salvation. But inevitably, this Christian life, there's going to be some degree of putting up with misunderstanding. Ridicule, scorn, pity, being patronized. Someone once said that when we appear before the Lord, he doesn't look over us for medals, but for scars. 
They may not always be physical stars, but it's the trials and sufferings we go through that deepen our lives and our relationship with the Lord. This is a quote from Oswald Chambers, which is kind of an indication or expression of this. God can never make us whine if we object uh, object, uh, to the fingers he uses to crush us with. If God would only use his own fingers and make us broken bread and poured out wine in a special way. But when he uses someone whom we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we have said we would never submit, we object. We must never challenge the scene of our own martyrdom. If ever we are going to be made wine to drink, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been squeezed. There's a process. And there's a promise in that too. God has designed, unfortunately, well, this isn't by his choice, it's the result of sin, right? But this life of a Christian involves suffering. And it's not a sacrifice, this suffering but rather it's a privilege. Maybe those are heavy words for some of you. But truly all in all, this is a privilege. Because we get to do it for Christ's sake. Paul said, this is the same conflict you see and hear in me. He suffered both emotionally and physically. And he's indicating to the church that they're going to go through the same thing. They're going to go through the same thing. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Why the Philippines needed not to be terrified by their adversaries? Because they're ordained by God. This is part of his plan. For to you it has been granted, it was granted the Philippians to believe in him. In the same way this belief was granted them, so was also the privilege of suffering for him. This gift of belief, this gift of the gospel, came with the gift of suffering. Suffering for his sake. Jesus said, he who saves his life shall lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall have it. So we continue to try and hold on to our lives, to enjoy the things that we want, and insist on satisfying our desires and pleasures without realizing that inevitably and irresistibly that life is slipping through our fingers and we're losing it. The physical one. The one who is willing to abandon it, throw it away if need be, waste it seemingly on the concerns that involve the cause of Christ and the gospel has a saved life. If you're not prepared to suffer, then I don't think you fully understand what it means to be a Christian. Word warns us that They who live a godly life in Christ shall suffer to some degree of persecution. And the Lord said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
It's not that it's his intention for us to suffer, right? He doesn't want us. But it's necessary because of the state in which the world is in, that we live in. Paul says, I get it. Right? Having the same conflict which you saw in me. They had the same conflict that they were facing. You see, when we're hit by the enemy, trying to make us depend on ourselves and not on Jesus, or when we encounter division in our community of believers, we have to recognize this is all part of it. And as I talked about the encouragement by, by our pastor to step out in faith, this is part of it, getting hit. Not only personally, but also on a community level too. This is part of that process, that part, the process of squeezing the grapes and making the wine. And we should expect it. But with that ability to expect it, we get to recognize it and ultimately be prepared for it. And not be in fear of it. And here's how. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. An encouragement, right? We should therefore look to reconcile our differences and not excommunicate the people from our social circles. Get rid of them. Avoid them. Talk about them. We can say that there's no way we can work together on a level because our spiritual maturity is so much greater than theirs. Paul says that isn't true. And we have the resources available to us through Christ. You see, if we operate in that manner, or we just cast people aside when we're annoyed or frustrated, how are we any different than the world? Isn't that the way the world operates? Therefore, there, if there is any. And Paul asks kind of this series of rhetorical questions. If there's any consolation in Christ, Paul asks first the rhetorical question, knowing, of course, that there was great consolation in Christ. If you guys have an understanding, Spurgeon says the Holy Spirit consoles, but, the Christ, uh, but Christ is the consolation. If I may use this figure, the Holy Spirit is the physician, but Christ is the medicine. This idea of consolation. If there is any comfort of love, the second rhetorical question. Every Christian should know what it is, have, uh, what it is to have Jesus give him the comfort of love. And therefore, we have been given, so shall we give. And extend that same sort of comfort of love. And if there is any fellowship of spirit, Paul knew and valued the fellowship of spirit. And we are to extend that. And then affection and mercy. It assumes that every Christian knows something of affection of God and mercy of God. Right? These are obvious parts of what it means to be a Christian. All these things that have been extended to us, all these things that have helped us in our life, and therefore, because it's helped us, shouldn't we help others? These are givens.
you're in currently a situation where you're frustrated by someone, you're annoyed by someone, you can't get past something that they did, have you looked at it from their point of view? Have you tried to put yourself in their place? And maybe sympathize with the pressures that they're facing. Paul says if there's a reality in any of these things, then act on the basis. Not with a harsh, critical attitude that is capable of tearing people apart. We're here to build each other up. Not to be used of the enemy. Paul talks later in chapter four of the way in which we should approach people in our mindset and says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about it, these things. What's Pastor Rob always say? They're not the enemy, they're the opportunity. They're not the enemy, they're the opportunity. I'm telling myself that too. (laughs) They're not the enemy. They're the opportunity. Right? And one tonight, kind of with the specifics of, of Paul's exhortation regarding love and humility among the believers. This is it. Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having same, the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each other esteem uh, others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Being of like mind, having the same joy, being of, of one love, of one accord, of one mind. Unity is the goal. How do we achieve that? How do we achieve this unity? Let nothing be done through self-ambition. In the flesh, we are often motivated by self-ambition and conceit. Self-promotion, advancement, climbing a ladder. Let nothing be done through conceit. This is the second step. Conceit is thinking too highly of oneself. Right? Excessive self-interest and self-preoccupation. We can't get caught up in that. And it comes down to esteem others better than himself. If I consider you above me, and you consider me above you, then something happens. We have a community where everyone's looked up to and no one is looked down upon. Finally, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Could you imagine a church that operated fully this way? Like, that's our intention. I'm saying a lot of us succeed in that, right? But if we were part of a community that continually operated in this manner, what an amazing thing that would be to be a part of. Constantly giving of ourselves, constantly putting others before ourselves and the busyness of this life. So here's the point. Let us be aware of the traps and the plans of the enemy as we see that we should expect suffering, right? From this mindset, 
Through our pride, they will try and separate us from God. And when that, when that doesn't work, they will try and cause discord in the very place we are in community in. Don't partake. Don't give in. We have to constantly remind ourselves to be an encouragement in our community. And even when we disagree with the people and are annoyed by people, it doesn't mean we need to give voice to those thoughts. But instead, look for ways to love people, encourage people, hold them accountable, right? But encourage them. Our goal is to be united as the bride of Christ. This community at large that we're a part of. Remember the way in which we treat each other is a testimony to the rest of the world. We should live and operate in such a way that people want to be part of our community. This takes courage. This takes trust. Can't be self-consumed. I realize that we all fail. We all fall short. But there's always opportunity for repentance. There's always opportunity for forgiveness. So it's look to, to, to repent and, and do some self-reflection, to look inward. How can I improve in this area? I don't want to be used of the enemy. I want to be used for the kingdom. So an encouragement for all of us is, is to look to build bridges again. Even some that have been burned to the ground. How can you reconcile? How can you get on the same page? How can you encourage? How can you love? This is what we're called to. The signs of a healthy church, a healthy community. This is what we're striving for. We're going to get hit. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get frustrated. But ultimately, our response is linked to our testimony.